Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 227 for Monday, January 9th, 2023. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixorift, and joining me, as always, is Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hello, hello. And if you would like to hear a little bit more about boilers, no, you're not you're not done with it yet. You you have more to learn, uh, specifically boilers that have water coming in on top of them instead of inside of them. Uh, then you want to listen to the render distance. Uh, Johnny and I talked about housing and home structures and all the things that go wrong and all the things that go right. And if you'd like to check that out, you can get that at the um, Spawn Chunks on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash the Spawn Chunks. I almost forgot the address. It's been five years. You'd think I would figure <laughs> that out by now. Uh, and uh, we do this every week. You get extra content if you decide to support us on Patreon. You also get access to the monthly Minecraft Hangout and the quarterly Hangout where we talk about the business of the show and how things are going as far as downloads and all that kind of stuff. Both of those are coming up later this month in January. Uh, looking forward to the next couple of Saturdays. If you are in our Discord, stay tuned to the announcements channel. You will get specifics as we get closer to those special shows. So we talked a bit about it in the render distance already. We kind of touched on a couple of things that we've been working on in Minecraft. So give us the lowdown, Joel. What's new on the Citadel? I have been working on uh, one of the last freestanding structures in West Hill. And I decided to go a bit bigger than I was working on in the past. Uh, I felt kind of claustrophobic in that little garden and those little adjacent houses that I had going. And I wanted to stop building with wood and do some stone stuff, particularly because this build is next to the curtain wall and right on the river. It's one of the bends in the river as uh, the West River that goes through West Hill, one of three actually that pass near the town. And um, I decided to build it at a deep slate, so it's a much darker palette. It actually, we joked around on stream that it feels kind of evil <laughs> just because of how dark it is compared mm -hmm. to everything else that's been very colorful on this side. So my my kind of headcanon for this was that it's an older house. It was probably built around the same time as the curtain wall because it's attached to the curtain wall with a cool little archway bridge. And uh, it has four floors in total if you include the the attic space so there's a basement there's a main level there's a second floor and then like the, the attic on top and it took me a while i originally was originally going to be doing more um cyan terracotta but i couldn't find anything that really jived well with it as like a texture to kind of like break it up a bit so i ended up pushing the cyan into the gable and then doing a gradient with deep slate up the entire side of the house and incorporating some mud block and some smooth basalt and so I was happy to grab that mud block. It's always nice to when you find a, a use for a new, one of the newer blocks in the game and bringing mud into deep slate with some darker blocks and stuff was a lot of fun. And it made the basement feel really not not dank in a bad way, just kind of old and musty and, and having mm -hmm. dark corners and things like that. And so I spent a good chunk of the, the week working on the structure. There was a, a balcony. Um, I haven't done the grounds yet. That's kind of like the last part. So I still have to figure out how the to get from the road down to the river on two sides of this uh, i would imagine there's kind of going to be a lot of overgrowth like i think a lot of the grass and some of the screenshots i'm sharing with our live chat it's probably going to be covered in like bushes and hedges and thickets and stuff so it's not going to really be a place where you can actually move around um but um, i think it'll be it'll be fun to do uh, i wanted to put some extra time into it because it is something you can see from a couple different vantage points as you are walking around the town because it is on the outside you know like it's it's outside it's inside the wall but it's on the edge of the river so you can see it from a bunch of different places and i really, really enjoyed the verticality of it it's it's only like i said five by six inside but it's it's quite tall 
and it uh, it's been a lot of fun to work on. I still have the the inside details in the attic to do, and uh, that pass that I often talk about with taking like armor stands and maybe like positioning a couple of things on tables and stuff like that. But we've got you know candles and and the furnaces in there and for heating, uh, and we've got um, like beds and bookshelves and things in the second floor and all that kind of stuff. So. It's fun. And I even tried putting flowers in the windows and I just, that, that evil comment in my head just thought, no, if some grumpy old magistrate lives here, it's not going to be covered in flowers. I, I met halfway and added a fern. (laughs) (laughs) All the flowers were just too cheery, you know? (laughs) I think that works really well though. I think for some reason, the thing that stuck out to me when I saw the screenshots of it was this feels like in a weird way, the local equivalent of like a New York brownstone kind of townhouse, except sort of, it's, yeah. it, it's it's Grimstone to use the older <laughs> name for, <laughs> for for Deep Slate, right? It's a Grimstone townhouse, and yeah. like it, obviously lacking neighbors, it's not like in a terrace like the New York apartments are. But I think it's just got something of that character to it. The very kind of like flat face, this sort of roofed porch and just some details leading up to the top of it. I think that's that's a, a really neat style. And what it does compared to some of the other stuff that you've built in the rest of West Hill is that because the interior is so gray as well, all of the wood detail really pops here where mm-hmm. elsewhere it would just be, you know, part of the furniture because it's, it's all, you know, wood around the outside and you've got a wooden roof and that kind of thing. I think it's really interesting for this to almost be like a study in deep slate because like you said there is a gradient to be used there just within variations on that one block each of them have different highlights and shadows and you can do quite a lot with them i think the shaders are helping a little here as well but not as much as you might expect and you've got deep slate tile around the entrance to make the entrance a bit darker and i think it's it's just really interesting to see how you've split up the different types of deep slate and used them in different ways Thanks. Yeah, the uh, the tile is on the roof, so the roof is the, is mainly tile, and I still have to texture that with maybe throwing in a couple of bricks. But then originally I had andesite uh, polished andesite blocks going up on the corners, like each um, of the four corners of the main house were a lot lighter, and it was starting to one feel like too high contrast, and two blend in with the stone tower. That's where that's mm-hmm. where the staircase is. So inside the tower is just a winding staircase that pops you out at like basement, main, second, and third floor. Uh, and you just you just wind around and exit at a door whenever you want, um, which is so much better than using scaffolding to get up and down. <laughs> I built the staircase first, and then I did the rest of the building because I just got so tired of going up and down scaffolding. Smart, when you've got to put yeah. down like 20 blocks of scaffolding to get up to the top of this thing, he's like, I am done with this. Because I also put up the scaffolding and then realize I've put it up in a place that when I back up to look at this, it's going to be right in the way. So I'm always like taking my scaffolding down at the same, like every time. Um, so it, it gets a little bit tedious, but, um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy that it, it has that feel. Cause that's, it's, um, something that I noticed as well, as you mentioned, was that using the wood and because I don't normally do these tall, narrow houses, a lot of the windows in West Hill, I'm realizing are one by one windows and these are two by one windows. And I started to have some fun with, I didn't want to put glass in them. So I started having fun with like putting the, the trap doors layered in a way that the shutters, when they close, they're not like meeting perfectly. One is kind of like a trap doors width ahead of the other. So there's an overlap there. And functionally, it doesn't work the way that you would think in game. Um, when I open, when I show an open shutter, I've actually like slid the trap door down to the front of the window. Uh, almost like a window sill, 
And so if you shut them in game, they don't actually close the window. They just look like they do. Mm. And I found it very handy because I, I don't always want glass in windows. Like I kind of, I prefer the shuttered look and I, you can't really do shutters and glass panes un unless you've got like a wall that's like two or three blocks deep. And that's one of the lessons I'm pulling away from, from this entire city of, of West Hill is these housing at this scale is really tricky because your walls are usually only one block thick. And yeah. it limits you with some of the details that you might want to put in windows, doors, um, having an inside that's a different color than the outside, like all that kind of stuff. So if I do anything like this in the future as a standalone build, I'm probably going to see what it would be like to plan the build with a two block wide wall and just see what I can I can come up with there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting moving from a build style like this into something where you give yourself a bit more freedom with those mm -hmm. kinds of materials. I think it's uh, always interesting to see what's next, <laughs> especially with having worked on this project for so long. So yeah, hopefully yeah. there's that's going to give you all kinds of freedom that you didn't have on this project because you're trying to keep things a bit more more compact. Um, I am currently trying to avoid two block thick walls because I'm building a massive one out of glass on Empire's SMP and uh, I haven't had a great deal of time to go mining in deserts and I don't really want to spend all of my time shoveling up sand to smelt it so I've been trying to trade with villagers to get hold of renewable glass and because I'm planning on boxing the entirety of the tower that the hermits built whilst they were on Empire's in glass it's going to take something in the range of 50,000 or so. I've got about a third of the way up right now and run out of any emeralds I had in stock and run out of reasonable ways to get emeralds that don't just involve mining wood and, you know, chopping trees and, and feeding the sticks to Fletchers for what feels like the entire week. So I'm learning to use the uh, raid farm that the Hermit set up while they were here, which is just ENXO4's raid farm for those who are familiar and that's just going to supply enough emeralds that I can do whatever I want with it after a an AFK session or two. But it's just not something I've I've used before. So uh, yeah, trying to get hold of a decent amount of glass, still trading it from villagers, so still having to wait for librarians' trades to refresh so they can sell me more glass and stuff. It's uh, a bit of a task, and I'm managing to distract myself from that in two separate ways. First of all. I've joined another server uh, for the duration of January. Uh, a project called Respawn is happening, uh, which is kind of similar to the Don't Die months that we've done in previous years with a similar group of people. It's a bunch of players from Truly Bedrock, a few of their friends and neighbors, including me. Uh, and it's a hardcore Java server, so not necessarily their comfort zone if they're used to playing Bedrock Edition. Um, but the twist this time is that there's a, a mod or a data pack or something installed. I'm not sure how they've done it, but uh, they... Each person has lives stored as physical items in your inventory. Uh, so you're basically given a couple of player heads and you have to keep one in your inventory at all times and it effectively acts like a totem of undying. If you get killed, it will preserve you, but it wipes your entire inventory, including that player head. And then you have to go and grab another player head from wherever you've got them stashed because it's possible to steal other people's lives. Uh, so if there's a spare player head knocking around, you can pick it up and take it with you and it, it acts as an, another life. Um, alternatively, if you're teaming up with somebody and you've expended all your lives but they want to keep you around, they can throw one of their spare player heads on the ground, you fly into it in spectator mode and it revives you on the spot. So there's a couple of really neat mechanisms to make sure people can stay in the game for a little bit longer, especially since 
hardcore deaths are usually those kind of unfortunate and avoidable accidents that happen mm, and mm-hmm. the idea is that towards the end of the month they're going to switch pvp on properly and everyone's going to be able to attack each other steal each other's lives and all of that kind of stuff so it's uh, it's a fun little project i'm not going to be there for the entire duration because we are going away at the end of january so i think i'm going to be there up until the pvp starts and then book it um but in the meantime, I'm just having fun playing a bit more casually, just messing around with like getting geared up with villagers and stuff right now. And then I'll see who wants to hang out and what shenanigans we can get into. Uh, the plan is to raid at least one ancient city. And I already went a bit off the off the uh, the beaten path exploring, found myself a pillager outpost and grabbed a couple of allays. And since this is in 119.3, we can duplicate the allays and people can use them for stuff. So my next plan is to get myself a jukebox and a music disc and start duplicating allays and maybe uh, hook a few people up with them if they want them. So uh, with the, the player head thing, I mean, one is a cool idea to have like the the back and forth with um, being able to like gather more lives because that as a content creator and people that organize all this kind of stuff, I feel like you just you get so prepared for this kind of thing and you look forward to, oh, I'm going to plan to have so many streams a week or, you know, I'll have a couple of videos or whatever. And if you die to that accident that you mentioned, like t- two episodes in, you're like, well, mm-hmm. all that prep work was <laughs> kind of a waste of time. Yeah. And, yeah. and it would be really frustrating. Uh, and so that's a that's a cool way to kind of like bridge that gap of having like it reminds me of like you know Super Mario when you've got like you don't have one life but you've only got two you know or three mm-hmm. depending yeah. on whether whether how many hearts or stars or whatever you've collected. Um, so like you said, it was a totem of undying, but it's a player head. Yeah, I mean it's effectively you you get your player head given to you when you when you join like it automatically gives you two player heads uh, and okay and it's like you've got to keep it in your inventory it doesn't have to be in your hand the way totems of undying do oh okay um, that's where i was confused okay gotcha. yeah, yeah yeah and so it, it's just somewhere in your inventory just in the top right hand corner and you leave it there um but then you don't want to die with multiple of them on you because then right. you, you wipe your inventory and you lose all of them so right it, it will revive you if you have one in your inventory but the rest of them you want to keep elsewhere. So they're stashed in chests, and that means people want to go and find them and steal them. Um, so yeah, there's opportunities for drama there if people want to play that out. Other people are taking it a little bit more casually, I think. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of a, a neat concept, and I'm looking forward to seeing what comes of it. It's funny that I see a lot of uh, different, I don't want to say side projects, but just short, short-term short projects are cropping up in January. I think that's a lot of time when, when content creators will kind of like see what spaghetti noodle sticks to the wall. Yeah, you know? and, it's, and it's a good time for experimentation. YouTube ad revenue is usually not like at its peak in January. Mm-hmm. It usually takes a bit of a dive in this month. So mm-hmm. it's the kind of thing where, yeah, people can try stuff without too many consequences for their overall channel revenue <laughs> and uh yeah I, i'm gonna probably make a bunch of shorts from this server i think because youtube shorts are kind of a a fun thing i've been playing around with towards the end of last year so i think i'm gonna i'm gonna try and turn a bit of stuff into short content focus on interactions with other people which is uh yeah, kind of counterintuitive to what i've done so far which is to run off and find a village that nobody had touched yet right on yeah i i've been toying around with like a short form like just getting together with a couple of friends and doing like a skyblock, not a hardcore, just like a skyblock thing, but have a time limit. Like, let's just see what we can get done in like six weeks. Sure. Just, yeah. You know, and, and, or to something that we were thinking about on the Citadel for encouraging multiplayer, again, just doing a skyblock server, but have it be like, you have to stream it and you cannot stream alone. 
like you ha it has to be at least two at least two of us have to be playing at the same time so that it's a a constant multiplayer experience because we all just had so much fun with that abba caving event where we were actually playing against one another we weren't helping one another but at least on skyblock I, I always get like think like, oh, that'd be really fun because then you don't have to worry about making it pretty. You can just like it's about the functional stuff in Minecraft. But then I think oh, it's just so grindy by yourself. Mm -hmm. But if you've got two people like you can kind of trade off the grindy stuff and then one person can do something more interesting and then the other person can do the grind and then flip flop, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, there's definitely a lot of stuff you can do. Like, I, I I think the reason that I've not managed to sustain a Skyblock playthrough for a super long period of time is because the grindy stuff gets to me after a while. And so it would be really nice to have somebody to trade off with in that sense. And yeah, when I revisit Skyblock in future, which I'm sure I will, I definitely want to have other people involved with that. Nice. Um one thing I'm not doing on the respawn server is building another version of David <laughs> because I'm actually currently working on the loading and unloading automation for the copper aging facility that I've come to call David uh, in my creative test world. And it's going really well for the moment. I've managed to crack automatic loading. So you can start out with basically an eight by nine area of copper i keep calling it an eight by nine square but that's <laughs> mathematically not a square an eight by nine <laughs> rectangle of copper blocks and a flying machine will pick that up and load that into basically eight separate rows of nine which then automatically get fed into the rows of mechanisms that split it out four blocks apart um as i've done in previous versions of this contraption and that works really well Unfortunately, you do have to go to each individual pad and load it up, uh, but you can do a certain amount of that with like smart piston feed tapes and kind of just shunting all of the blocks into place and then activate the machine that's going to take them all to the, the different modules when you're done. The problem then becomes retrieving all of that because you can't just reverse that mechanism. Because the way I have this laid out, I'm trying to use as much of the random tick radius as possible. So you're looking at groups of four machines that you can load up but then there's another group of four next to that and another group of four next to that and you end up with effectively more than the piston push limit can manage which means if it's collecting you know more than eight rows of copper at a time then it's gonna have to like the, the fly machine would just freeze wherever it ends up so i'm trying to figure out a way that you can automatically unload some of this stuff at least drag all of the copper back to the same place and it's not the kind of thing that i can just throw a piston feed tape in there because there are too many other moving parts that are going to conflict with that if a piston feed tape pushes at the wrong time then it could break one of the flying machines that's delivering the copper in the first place and like there's there's bits and pieces there that can go wrong uh aside from which the idea of making a piston feed tape that's potentially 128 blocks long <laughs> is is pretty mammoth so th there's bits and pieces of this that are coming together slowly but surely and i'm i'm quite happy with it so far but i still have a couple of other puzzles to work on before i can truly say the thing is automatic that's really cool like it's, it's such a such a feat you know in terms of like the technical accomplishment of like moving all that kind of stuff around like i'm i'm pretty savvy with redstone not as savvy as as most but like i i can make my own contraptions most of the time i can certainly follow a tutorial but to come with flying machines is where my brain kind of goes and i'm just like nope don't get it like <laughs> i really have a hard time wrapping my brain around it and every time i i see the progress that you make or or hear about you know the things that you're explaining uh and doing on the show with with the copper i'm just like man like good on you for for having the what sort of I'm looking for 
consistency to like work through all the problems and come up with your own solutions to it. Cause like, I think it's a really cool feather in the cap, you know, cause it's, it's the one thing that I don't see. Cause like you see redstone stuff pop up on YouTube and then like, it'll be like six different people with the same sort of farm. Right. Yeah. And yeah. variations thereof as soon as like a new feature comes out of Minecraft, but I did not see tons and tons and tons of copper aging. People just did what most of us do, which is just laid it out in a field. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like that was, that was the MO. You know, or they or they built it into the build and then just waited for it to, you know, as they were doing other things. They just that's that's what I do. I put it up in the roof in the wrong color and then wait for it to change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's laying it out in a field is where this all started for me. And then I immediately mm. thought, no, this is tedious. I don't want to do this. Yeah. I want to oh, do something is. a bit more interesting. And there are definitely better designs out there. I think Cubic Meters Farm is the one that like most people will point to. Um, and so my version is not going to be anywhere near the most efficient use of all of this. It's really just going to be, I had a vision for this and I want to see it through to its logical yeah, conclusion. Of course. And and I like that about it. I think it's it's fun to be able to, to, to do some of that stuff and follow through on an idea and come up with something unique instead of just going with the most efficient or the most kind of commonly used version of it. Um, it is going to require me to build a copper farm at some stage. Uh, if I'm going to be doing that in my single-player world, which is probably where I'll build the final automatic version in the survival guide world, and I don't have a copper farm there at all, so all of the copper I have is from um, huge veins of copper, or it's, you know, maybe fighting the occasional drowns to get copper ingots. What I'm planning on trying to do is setting up a really efficient drowned farm somewhere, but not one of the reinforcement-based ones. I want to find a... Um, a dripstone cave that will be as low as possible in the world and try and create a spawn proof perimeter there because drowned spawns as close to bedrock as possible are going to be pretty good and obviously like with you know enough water in a dripstone cave is going to start spawning drowned because they're part of the mob cap there so I i'm planning on doing maybe a, a slightly different and maybe less effective but ultimately pretty cool drowned farm at one of those locations if i can find it it's just about finding a dripstone cave that goes all the way to bedrock first yeah i mean having built one not in a dripstone cave just in a regular um near a zombie spawner that's what that's what fuels it uh th it's they're fun there's, yeah there's the sheer amount of of drowned um and i they're kind of they're one of my favorite mobs because of the silly noises that they make yeah yeah uh, and, and but just when you have so many of them though the chorus of stupidity <laughs> that comes out of the farm is uh is is really really fun and i think that i mean any farm that pumps out that kind of level of of mob uh groups is just really fun to see and it's fun to like oh there's a you know 70 or well 25 because of you know cramming but like there's 25 drowned in front of me that i get to whack with the sword like this is just fun <laughs> yeah know? yeah uh, let's move on into the news, of which there is not a whole bunch this week. It's another slow news week, as to be expected from early January, but we each brought a couple of things to share. I'll start with just a simple one. Uh, Minecraft on Twitter was asking for feedback via a play experience survey and there's a link to the tweet and a direct link to the survey in our show notes the survey closes on january 12th so you still have a little bit of time to fill this one in if you want to uh i will preface by saying i took the survey before today's show and it's mostly about how and where you log in to play the game what kind of devices you play on whether you play multiplayer through lan or realms and whether you're familiar with 
Microsoft accounts login and that kind of stuff. So not really gameplay focused, but I think it'd be really useful for people people to answer if you're a parent playing Minecraft with your kids or if you're somebody who plays Minecraft regularly. I think it's going to be fun for them to get a bit of that that data and hopefully use it to improve the Microsoft account experience in general. When old foes become new friends is a light article on Minecraft.net about Minecraft Legends and it covers the mobs that will fight alongside the player in Minecraft Legends, specifically those from Minecraft, the ones that you're familiar with, like the Creeper, the Skeleton, and the Zombie. Uh, There is some insight into the battlefield strategy for the Creeper, Skeleton, and Zombie. Creepers are excellent at blowing up sturdy piglin defenses, according to the article. Skeletons are eerily accurate, as they are in Minecraft at a distance, but can't take much punishment. Adversely, zombies, while not the most agile, can take a lot of punishment, even more when supported by a mossy golem, with a little bit of a hint as to what strategy you might want to use there, and will draw the ire of piglins in battle. Both skeletons and zombies wear hats to keep them from burning up in the sunlight, and once a player befriends a mob in the world, they will be able to lay down a spawner for that mob to be used in battle. The more I hear about Minecraft Legends, the more excited I am to play it, I think, because these are just the mobs that we're familiar with from regular Minecraft. I think it's kind of fun to think, oh yeah, there are all of these extra golem mobs that they've added in as well. So you're going to get some stuff that feels familiar, like it's not a huge surprise to me to say, okay, zombies are slow and shuffling, but you know, they're kind of tanky and, you know, maybe they can distract things while your snipers the skeletons kind of pick stuff off from a distance that all makes perfect sense to me but the idea of yeah zombies can team up with mossy golems and those can continue to heal the zombies and like i think that's kind of smart and i think that that takes this into territory that even seasoned minecraft players will be unfamiliar with so i I really like the sound of that I think it's really interesting that they're getting out ahead of players and anticipating the gut reaction of players that are familiar with Minecraft coming to Minecraft Legends and hearing a creeper in the wild and going in the opposite direction. When really what you want to do is like, no, 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 befriend, recruit, use, you know? And so it'll be interesting when you start to hear zombies and skeletons and creepers out in the world where you have to retrain your brain in Legends to like, no, 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 go towards the danger noise, (laughs) you know? And uh, I think that's going to be an interesting kind of skill to learn, I guess, in the game. Yeah, kind of reframing your perspective on some of these mobs, yeah. Uh, And I'm like you, the more that I I learn about it, the more it sounds like it's going to be straightforward provided that you start to, like once you start to think of these things as like here are three mobs we're going to explain some of the uses for them and here's the basics right and i think that's really cool in that we, when you compare that to the trailers and the other promotional videos that we've seen where there are six or eight different kinds of mobs on screen at the same time plus all the mobs from the bad guys you know that you're trying to figure out who's doing what and where this to me is a lot clearer and you can kind of like wrap your head around these smaller portions i hope they do this with other mobs from Minecraft Legends. Like I want to see like another article with three more, maybe of the newer ones, you know, like the little golems, you know, and then do three more with like the new battle mobs. Like there was that big golem that like picked up boulders and threw stuff like Mm -hmm. those, that would be really cool to have like these little um, colorful, they're not going to give away everything, but they're going to have these little hints written into the, into the characterization uh, as to how the game might play. And the other thing that I'm picking up on is that creepers remind me of banelings from Starcraft. I'm not sure if anybody remembers, but <laughs> yeah. Zerglings yeah, yeah. were like your little your little claw guys and they were super fast and they were just like you you won by numbers. They weren't powerful units. But creepers uh and banelings, banelings were the same sort of thing, but they were basically a bug 
with a big old butt full of acid. And when they exploded, they took out all kinds of stuff. And that's what creepers remind me of uh, in their use in Minecraft Legends. And then skeletons and zombies actually, to me, have more of an MMO or a multi-character action strategy kind of feel where your skeletons sound like your glass cannon, you know, your wizards, your your fire mages. They have to hang back because they're they're not wearing anything. They're they're they don't even have skin. And so they get damage really easy, but they can shoot arrows really far. And then you've got zombies that almost have like a tank-like ability where they can take a lot of damage. And what the, my brain is like, well, of course they can. They're already dead, you know, <laughs> like, or they're undead, you know. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting that the little tidbit that they throw in there is like zombies can take a little bit more damage, but they also have an aggro advantage where they're going to attract the piglins to attack the zombies and therefore leaving your skeletons and perhaps your creepers unnoticed. So as a strategy, you know, in Minecraft Legends, that could be something that you could use to your advantage. Yeah, I think the things I'm more interested in are the strategy elements, because when we've looked at footage of this before, we've sort of gone, this looks like you're just sending everything in in one big wave and there's this kind of melee and you don't really know what is going on and you're just trying to overwhelm the enemy by sheer numbers. And the the part that interests me in the action strategy genre is the strategy side of things, especially when that's going to translate into, you know, a PvP metagame and that kind of stuff. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they balance that stuff and see what synergy you can find between the different units. The zombies work really well with the guys that heal you. Maybe the skeletons can team up with some other kind of golem that can protect them a little better. And I think it's going to be fun working out what combinations of those things all work the best. Do you want to move on into email? Sounds like a plan to me. If you would like to email the show, you can send an email to spunchunkmail at gmail.com. Please use that address and keep them brief. Uh, keep them on point. It's a higher probability of having them read on the show. First email comes in from Hill Mina. I see what you did there. A use for ominous banners. Longtime listener, first time chunk mailer. This podcast is my go-to for long drives to faraway birding locations. And I love binging the back catalog to learn more about Minecraft's history. Recently, I was thinking about how the ominous banner currently has no function. So what if it could be used to deter villagers within a certain range? You could use this to prevent villagers from entering areas such as dangerous caves or your base. You could hide some ominous banners in a trees or underground to create an invisible barrier that would, they, uh, that would then prevent the villagers from crossing it, containing them without putting up a giant wall. It would be nice if villagers wouldn't link to any beds or workstations within the range of an ominous banner so that unemployed villagers would stop linking to your handy stone cutter. Maybe if you held an ominous banner in your hand, they would treat you like a zombie and run away, keeping them out of the way as you're working around them. What are your thoughts? Love the show. In Hillmina's haste to gather ominous banners, they forgot to drink their milk on their way home. (laughs) That's always the risk. Always the risk when you're tangling with the pillagers. We've all done it. I I really like this idea. At first I thought, well, I mean, it's kind of standard, you know, like just having a, a banner that kind of like would keep a, a certain thing away. Uh, we have the sort of a similar function with cats and creepers, right? Like have a radius and the creeper kind of gets close and then it turns around and goes the other direction. Mm-hmm. And what sold me on this though, was the villagers not being able to pair with the profession blocks because I experienced this in my 118 playthrough when the, they did the snapshots, not the snapshots or the, 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 the test worlds and in, in 118 part one, and I had used barrels 
in a village to kind of get going quickly. And I was using barrels as my storage and all of my villagers turned into fishermen, right? That's the barrel, right? And, and yeah. they all came over and paired with the barrels because the barrels were even with a wall behind them, uh, or at first there wasn't a wall and, and they were just pairing with the back end of the barrel. And it's like, well, that's not useful because now I have like six of the same villager for like early game trading and trying to progress. And I thought like, that's really annoying. And then now someone asked me, you know, hey, Joel, would you ever put villagers in West Hill? I mean, hard no, because they would just drive me crazy. But also yeah. I have used blast furnaces, furnaces, barrels, uh, like all kinds of the profession blocks around. And they would just pair with whatever would be like, this is part of a building. Like it's part of a, a, a lamppost or it's the corner stone of a building. And they would just end up walking over two things and pairing with them. You'd have so little control uh, about like trying to get a blacksmith, you know, in, in their costume to be in your blacksmith shop. Well, they, they could end up pairing with the, with the barrel that you used in the rafters. You know, like it's just, it's really, it's really frustrating. And to have a way to control that, uh, would be cool. I don't know if an ominous banner is the right solution for it, but, and I've not messed around with ominous banners. You might have more experience here than I do. Um, but like, I, I really like that idea. And that got me thinking, what if to add some functionality to banners along a similar line, uh, we have some special banners that we can make, you know, the creeper face, uh, the, um, is it the Mojang logo? And then there's also, um, the the wither skeleton skull that mm -hmm. you can put on a banner like what if those could also have functions you know like what if you could repel wither skeletons with a wither skeleton banner and you could <laughs> then use that in a red like you're trying to figure out how to funnel these these wither skeletons into an area right now i think people lure them with like a piglin um yeah. or a golem or something like that but what if you could just put banners down and they would just like be pushed away by these you know myth mythical banners yeah, I, I like the idea of banners having more functionality like that. One wonders if it becomes slightly too easy if you can move certain types of mobs around that way. Um, and going back to the ominous banners thing, I think it's currently possible to alter ominous banners in-game because the design is layered much the same way as a player-crafted banner. Although I think, I, I've been checking this on the Minecraft wiki, I think the ominous banner can't actually be crafted by the player because it uses more than six patterns uh so it's kind of difficult to reproduce that way um and in bedrock edition apparently it's a separate item and you can't do anything with it in a loom at all so um applying that level of functionality is one of those things that it requires them to be a functionally different item i feel like to a regular player crafted banner at which point I kind of wonder, well, why not do this with something new and, and save the banners just as an aesthetic thing because they exist in the game already. Um, my problem with using stuff like creeper faces and wither skeleton skulls is that people still tend to use those in patterns which don't necessarily just have to do with the face or the wither skeleton. Like if you apply them over the top of something else with the same pat uh, the same color as the background of the banner sometimes they can create really interesting designs through like creating negative space in in the patterns and i use them for that all the time but just because a wither skeleton print was applied to this at some stage it would then you know deter wither skeletons if i placed it around like i, I don't know if that functionality is really ideal um especially when we have mob related ways of, of doing that already i don't know really what it what it adds but i i do like the idea of having more control over villagers i know villagers are a frustration for a lot of people 
And I think you'd find that while this sounds like a good idea on paper, if you put an ominous banner down, sure, they, it keeps you out of it keeps them out of your house or, or whatever. But villagers AI is just going to find a way to get in and then get out again in the same way that creepers can sometimes walk next to cats and then their AI realizes there's a cat there and then they walk away again. So it might not be the uh, the perfect solution that uh, that you're after. Um Having played a bit more Dwarf Fortress since last week, in that game, it's possible to assign workstations to specific workers, or groups of workers in some case, and you can even have them complete work orders, like, you know, if there are fewer than five beds available, make beds until we have five. And obviously in that game all the crafting is done by the minions that you're controlling, it's it's not like there's, there's not a lot of, like, player interaction with stuff other than just telling your dwarves to do things. But I, I kind of wonder if more aspects of villager trading could be automated in the same way. Say you go to their profession block, you could assign a specific villager to that profession block so that they wouldn't end up switching. Or you could go into a GUI for a barrel and it just have a button on the side that says, hey, villagers, ignore this one. <laughs> and they just end up doing stuff like that. And then you could maybe even extend it to putting in orders for in my case, a specific amount of glass. So maybe you end up paying more for glass because you've requested it, but then it can refresh the trade a few more times before it locks for the day. Or you can trade it a bunch more before the trade locks up for the first time and you have to wait for them to restock at their workstation. I think there is still more room for flexibility within villager behavior and villager trading, and I would like to see that happen. I'm not sure the ominous banner is quite the right way to do stuff like that, but... Um, I, I do like the idea of it keeping them out of caves, though, because villagers are very, very accident prone, as anybody who's worked with villagers probably knows. Yeah, and I think that's something that, to your point of, of having more options and more flexibility to control villagers, or I, control is the wrong word, maybe like nudge or encourage. Encourage, encourage yeah. <laughs> yeah, encourage villagers. to do that. Really, Positive reinforcement is what yeah, we, we exactly. want to have. It's like training a puppy. Uh, it, it's, but the thing is, like, if you don't have those options for people then they go with the least common denominator and the easiest which is basically like imprisonment and enslavement yeah which, lock lock them in a one by one space exactly which <laughs> yeah. which is not i i can't imagine is the vision that mojang hag has for interacting with villagers right um because it's certainly a, an odd behavior that everybody just kind of like sweeps under the rug <laughs> when, when you explain to a non-minecrafter what your villager trading hall is they kind of go wait they're they're just stuck there it's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and to your point about the banners not being the best solution for controlling them i can see what you mean about like a villager maybe finding that one little way or their ai just not clicking in fast enough and they walk between two of these ominous banners and then when they do have their ai turned on they run the other way, right? Mm -hmm. They're on the uh, the wrong side of your invisible force field, and then they can't come back in because every time they get close to coming back to the village, the ominous banners push them back out into the wilderness, right? So that's like one villager lost, like there's zombie food at that point. And so I can see the banners not being the best solution. I would like to see more function for banners though. I'd like to see a little bit more flexibility with them. And I kind of wonder with ideas like this, you know, whether it might spur on something at, you know, at Mojang Studios to like give the banners just a little bit something extra. Maybe it's got nothing to do with villagers at all. Like maybe there's just some other thing that you could use them for. And um, I kind of wonder like if anything from Minecraft Legends, you know, that we were talking about earlier in terms of like controlling mobs or, or those kind of functionalities, if anything from Minecraft Legends will then spur on ideas to control villagers in Minecraft. 
here's here's another option kind of related to um some discussions we've had previously about pet management in vanilla minecraft what if all of your dogs of a certain like if you dye their collars a certain color they gather around banners that are a certain color that could potentially nice. be an option, or maybe a banner with a specific pattern on it, again, so that you don't end up with a bunch of dogs trying to jump off the side of a bridge that you've placed a banner next to or something. But, like, you know, if, if you can figure out a way of it not endangering the dogs, then maybe. But I like the idea of being able to have them form up and prefer to go to specific places. And that kind of ties in with the idea of Minecraft Legends being able to direct the troops. I'm pretty sure there's like a a way you can point everyone to like go over there and banners might be involved in that from the footage that I've seen. So yeah, there's there's potential there. They can they can learn yeah. from Minecraft Legends, I think, in in terms of unit management. And um, and maybe a way to add like motion to your world because like do you remember I think it was one of the Hermitcraft seasons where they made like a Santa's workshop and they were moving villagers around and luring baby zombies and getting them to run yes. back and forth yeah, like yeah, little yeah. elves like if you could do that by like using pistons to reveal or hide banners and have an animal a group of animals run back and forth it would be kind of interesting it's almost like a way of automating like imagine you had something that would attract sheep. And the sheep would all eat the grass on one side and then you would hide that banner and reveal the banner on another side of the farm and the sheep would all go to the other side and eat all the grass there and then shed their wool. Like just stuff like that could be kind of interesting to kind of, even if it doesn't have a real Minecraft function, just to kind of add some lore and some ideas, you know, to your to your world would be kind of fun. Definitely. Maybe a data pack can do this already. Who who knows? We we might see people taking these ideas and running with them. Uh, either way, here's another idea for you. This comes in from Gar Gar Gar, and the subject is smelting diorite. Hey, Johnny and Joel. After spending my winter break watching both your videos and streams, as well as videos from a few other Minecraft creators, I've noticed that a lot of people use calcite, but have had a hard time sourcing it. Although I don't know much about rocks, I'm a chemistry nerd, my research told me that diorite in real life and Minecraft is a rather useless and intrusive rock. If players could smelt diorite into calcite, could the use and desirability of diorite rise? Smelting diorite would also track with how basalt smelts into smooth basalt. Would love to hear your thoughts. Thanks always for the amazing episodes. Gargargar gar, gar, smelted away after smelting 86 stacks of diorite into calcite. I found a couple of huge geodes on the Citadel, uh, one of which I turned into a, an amethyst farm. So to clear that out into a giant box, I have a fair amount of calcite. Uh, however, I haven't been using a ton of it either. Like I've not built a, a big white building. It's all been just like small player scale homes. And even only it's the top half that might have calcite and powdered concrete and maybe even some diorite worked in. So I've not used a ton of it. Um, I haven't done much exploring in 118 and 119, but we can now find calcite in large deposits in mountains. I say large, not knowing how big they are. Have you found any of these veins like in game, Johnny? Like, do they give you a lot? Is it like akin to finding like a copper vein or an iron vein? Yeah, um, I found a couple. Uh, there was actually one right next to my base that formed the, the the basis of some early game drama on Empires when somebody came and raided the oh, right. vein of calcite in my nearby mountain, which is why I ended up uh, building a giant glass box around one of his buildings. But um, yeah, like calcite is fairly common in mountain ranges. You don't end up seeing too much of it if you don't have a lot of mountainous terrain nearby. But on Empires, we have a seed that has tons of really tall terrain. And so... I only have to fly a couple of hundred blocks away from my location. I run into another mountain that's got a vein of calcite that I haven't finished digging out because of how much there is. And calcite's a block that I use a fair amount of because I'm building ruins and there's kind of, you know, 
good uses for for calcite it looks like an older marbly kind of block um but i'm also not too hung up on diorite i think diorite works really well in combination with calcite um so that there's there's potential here for people to just learn to love diorite a little more um so so here's the thing i i did i did a bit of research myself i i mean i looked up the wikipedia article but that was a really good starting point where i i figure based on the information that i have available there smelting diorite into calcite doesn't make a huge amount of sense in geological terms or in Minecraft terms, and I'll explain why. Um, diorite is an igneous rock. Igneous rock being the type that's formed by volcanic eruptions and and a lot of like um, you know subsurface magmatic activity. Um, not to be confused with metamorphic rock, which is the one that's formed under intense heat and pressure. It's much more about volcanic extrusion. Uh, while calcite is found in a lot of sedimentary rocks, and calcite, as the name implies, contains a lot of calcium. It's all calcium carbonate, and that's formed out of dead marine organisms, and those are the ones that just layer up over millions of years and, and compress down into, into rock. Um, Calcite is also an ingredient of metamorphic marble when it's been transformed by heat and pressure. So it really feels like calcite should be the thing turning into diorite and not the other way round. Calcite feels like an earlier stage and diorite feels like a later stage. So I don't think really smelting diorite to turn it into calcite necessarily works. Now in Minecraft, smelting different types of stone always yields a smooth variant. It's actually now quite consistent across stone, sandstone, quartz, basalt. If you smelt any of those, you end up with the smooth variant. It, like if, for example, if you smelt cobbled deep slate, it just turns into regular deep slate, but that's still the smoother version of it. Um, so if, if anything, smelting diorite should get us smooth diorite. And you can decide for yourself whether or not that's calcite. If you want to apply that though, you can always create a data pack recipe for that because that allows you to modify what you can put in a furnace. Like Joel, I know you have the um, yep. the ability mm -hmm. to use wood in a in a stone cutter and be able to to craft wood that way. So like you can use workstations, you can use furnaces, and you can smelt diorite to turn it into calcite via data pack if you'd like to. The construction.ca is, I think, the site. I'll link it in the show notes and have it as a, re a reply to the email. But uh, you can use that to create your own uh, data pack with a WYSIWYG. So you just, you you pick the block, you pick the, the crafting table like a furnace or crafting block like a furnace, and then you pick the output and you just, you make it. And it just, it's as easy as that. We use it for uh, rotten flesh into leather, for example. Yes, we're going to have a lot of links for people to go and deep dive in today's episode because uh, the, the topic coming up is all about resources that you folks are going to find useful. So we'll add that onto to that list as well. Um, but in the meantime, in vanilla Minecraft, diorite can be used to craft andesite. If you combine diorite and cobblestone in any crafting grid, you get andesite blocks, which is something that I think people often overlook because you get a lot of andesite through mining as well. But I think most people agree that andesite is more desirable than diorite because you end up with a lot of grayscale builds. You end up with a lot of stone that you want to add detail to and andesite's a really good subtle way of doing that. You can also combine it with nether quartz. You, you add a single like a quartz item that you get from breaking quartz ore. Um, you turn that and diorite into granite. So if you want more granite, same thing. You can, you can craft diorite into that. And I believe, this is something I didn't know until I was looking it up on the Minecraft wiki, in Bedrock Edition, you can use all three decorative stone types, andesite, diorite, and granite, and even their polished variants to craft a stone cutter. So if you're setting up a bunch of stonemasons, you might even be able to trade excess diorite to them, but you can even use the diorite on Bedrock Edition to craft stone cutters to make stonemason 
uh, profession blocks. So if you, if you wanted to do that, that's another way of getting rid of your diorite. Uh, Happy New Year. <laughs> Enjoy all of the ways that you can use your diorite for more productive things without lifting a finger and making more data packs. And I think one of the reasons why smelting diorite into calcite would, would also be kind of a negative gameplay experience is that calcite is pretty rare. Uh, we've got more of it now since they've put deposits in the mountains. But even then, like when you see someone that has it, specifically if they have it early in a game in like an SMP, you're like, oh, wow, like, where'd you find that? That's really cool because it just it's that and it looks really different. But diorite is everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I think that smelting diorite into calcite for all the reasons that you mentioned doesn't make any sense. But then as a gameplay sort of situation, it would make calcite super common, right? Because you would you have you would have access to calcite the moment that you had coal and diorite, right? And I think that I think pushing it into a rarer block is a better way to go. Now, if they wanted to smelt diorite and turn it into marble at Mojang, I wouldn't really have a, a bad thing to say about that. I don't know about you. Yeah, there you go. There's the more more options, I think, for combining <laughs> quartz, calcite, diorite um marble like any of that stuff i think it, it we, we've seen so much expansion of the gray color palette lately with things like blackstone and deep slate and i wonder if the white color palette is due for some of that stuff as well we'll we'll see um but like as i hinted before our topic this week is going to be something a little different instead of having a discussion so much i wanted to share a few useful resources for players looking to start new projects here in the new year and in our Discord, uh, this is another plug for the Discord if you wanted to join our Patreon, uh, we have a channel called Resource Mine, uh, in which people share links to useful tools that they found online and different bits and pieces to uh, just kind of spread a bit of knowledge around for useful things you can take into your Minecraft worlds, like di different tools that you can use to look up stuff about your Minecraft worlds or mods that are useful for stuff like that. And we're going to share a bunch of our favorites and a bunch of stuff that we've found that we think could make your Minecraft gameplay a little better here in 2023. Some useful tools and resources that more people should know about and a few tips for making Minecraft gameplay smoother and easier. So I find that a lot of times you'll hear Optifine get spoken about on youtube videos and twitch and it seems just seems when's optifine coming out is it, it happens whenever minecraft gets updated uh but i'd like to point people towards just a suite of apps that we've been using for the last couple of years i think on the citadel to great success uh and i find because they are fabric apps they update very quickly because fabric is updating with the snapshots and so when you are looking at sodium which is a version uh or a, not a version it's a it's an app that does very similar things to Optifine. It is an optimization plus additional options mod. It doesn't affect your gameplay so much as it affects like the speed at which Minecraft runs and gives you some options for lighting. And you can either crank things up or turn things down depending on your computer's performance. Unfortunately, the one thing that doesn't have is CTM, which is just not part of Sodium. And that's why a lot of people use Optifine for things like custom models and textures and things like that, connected textures. So you have to find another way to do that through Fabric, which is possible. I've got a connected textures uh, mod on the Citadel that I use. Instead of just having Optifine, we've got Sodium. But then also they've broken the developers, uh, Caffeine, which are the developers for Sodium, they have a number of other apps uh, and Lithium and Phosphorus are the two other uh, apps. Lithium is a general optimization thing. Uh, things like, you know, redstone ticks and other things that might kind of 
be happening in the background inefficiently. And then phosphorus addresses the lighting in Minecraft. And again, the kind of thing that will cause some performance lags on a computer. Uh, having these things, uh, you can have them on a server, you can have them on a client side. Um, sorry, lithium and phosphorus, you can have on a server. There's no real advantage to having sodium on the server, um, but they help with performance. And then in addition to that, there's also indium and iris. Uh, indium is a rendering optimization mod. Uh, and then iris is for shaders because again, Optifine has shaders built in, sodium does not. So if you're running sodium, you're going to need something like indium and iris to run shaders. But I found since that, uh, my shaders will load faster with indium and iris than they ever did with Optifine. And you can have it on a hotkey. So when I'm running around as a content creator, taking these shader screenshots for like Twitter or for sharing here on the podcast, I just have to hit, like, I think it's K on my keyboard and just, it changes everything. And it just goes, it loads right into shaders. I can, I can do it on the fly. If I'm like going on a walk to go repair some gear in a live stream, I can hit K and just give everybody a nicer view, you know, for, I'm not going to be building. It's not going to chug my machine. I'm just walking down the road and it's a nice, it's a nice area that I've built up. So I'll hit K and load up the shaders. And I find that that kind of stuff is really convenient for both the performance of keeping things going a little bit faster, uh, but then also just those little hotkeys that I find are so common in, in these mods that are built well, you can kind of customize. Uh, usually there's like an additional section in your hotkey options in Minecraft that allow you to assign it to a key. And I find it incredibly useful. Yeah, I, I often with the amount of mods that we've ended up putting in some servers that i played on like when i play on empires we have like matica running and there's a ton of keyboard shortcuts associated with that i start to run out of keys <laughs> they're gonna have to invent new keyboards for the amount of stuff that i want to do in in minecraft some days but uh yeah having hotkeys for all of that stuff and uh if you're running sodium you miss out on optifine zoom you have logical zoom that can take over that as well um, continuity is what we use for connected textures on empires because we're running sodium on that instance as well. Um, I think one of the biggest mods that I've started to enjoy in the last little while has been simple voice chat. And I will recommend that to anybody who's playing on a Java server and just wants the ability to walk up to somebody and start talking to them without having to arrange to get in a Discord call and that kind of stuff. It's easy to mute and ignore notifications from it if you want to like leave it alone um but if if you want to be able to have spontaneous chats with somebody who's working on the same server as you then it's a really interesting social and very well integrated uh mod to use if you're running a java server unfortunately nothing similar to that on bedrock edition i think for obvious reasons because bedrock edition as an ecosystem is much more open to anybody and everybody who's got a console account um, but it's it's definitely worth looking into if you're running Java for sure. I really like it on on big social servers that have a lot of um, creators on it because I find it it adds a lot of um, I swear not mischief, but it just it can add a level of casualness to the interactions where especially when you can kind of hear someone coming and they're like shouting someone's name and they get closer and closer and they get louder and louder. It, it makes it feel more like a real interaction than like a hold on, let's stop what we're doing. I'm going to call you on discord. Let's load up. And then it becomes like a cut to, to hanging out with someone. I, th I think that's what it is. It removes the need to like cut either your audio or your video or both 
you and and whip could be just walking down the road on empires run into each other have an interaction and that entire clip can be in both of your videos unedited mm-hmm. right yeah. um and i and i think that that's that's a real that's a real treat because then it feels it feels more like uh i compare it to the muppets it feels more like when these characters are have you, have you ever seen the muppets interviewed like they go off script all the time. They refer yeah, to the yeah. people that they refer to the people that are holding them. Like they do all kinds of stuff like that. And I find it so funny because these actors are in character, but being interviewed completely improving the entire time. And I find that having the voice um, chat in, in game makes the Minecraft um, avatars feel more like Muppets in a way. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, and, and you can sort of do a few fourth wall breaking kind of bits and pieces like that as well. I think that's, that's a lot yeah. of fun. Um, there's a lot of online resources that are kind of linked to not just optimizing your game, but like changing the visuals of the game. And we would be remiss if we didn't mention Vanilla Tweaks at least once. Uh, it's a great source of ready-made data packs and resource packs and crafting tweaks. So again, going back to our previous email, if you want something that turns charcoal into black dye because you're having trouble getting squid ink or wither roses that's another option like bits and pieces like that uh vanilla tweaks is one i go back to all the time for things like lowering the shield on screen so that it doesn't take up so much of the point of view of the player i'm pretty sure all of these are java edition things but there are a lot of similar resources out there for um for bedrock edition so uh you might have to do a bit of googling but i'm sure there's some stuff out there but the vanilla tweaks thing is just this ever expanding library of really useful stuff you can have resource packs that show you which way certain redstone components are pointing so that you don't have to worry about whether that observer in your contraption is upside down or not um directional hoppers that kind of stuff like all all of that stuff really really useful and the data packs there are some that we've used on empires there are a lot that they use on hermitcraft if you've been watching those kind of uh, servers and you're interested in seeing how they do some of that stuff like you know there's lots of quirky behavior um there's data packs that add bundles back in for you if you're interested in using those there's a lot of different stuff that's out there so vanillatweaks.net really good place to start if you want to uh, start 2023 tweaking minecraft to your satisfaction one of the things that i like to use uh this kind of gets into a little bit more of the artistic side of things but uh if you are using uh any kind of art application even if you're just cropping thumbnails for youtube or or for your own discord shares whatever um any kind of art application whether it's photoshop or uh pixelmator or whatever changing the canvas size and the brush size of that art application to make pixel art gives you basically digital grid paper that you can then use to plan out your builds as far as scale colors you can copy and paste so you can design a tower and then copy and paste four or five of them really quickly and kind of get an idea of what your build might look like i'm not saying go through and create like this beautiful piece of pixel art before you go and make it in minecraft because i find that's what pulls me out of creative mode i don't want to do the build twice you know like i want to build it in survival but having the ability to use um, an art program i think um, people are all so often thinking about like what digital tools that are either a minecraft mod or uh, a, a Minecraft um, function that I can just kind of plan things out in. And I found that probably just because of my art background, I just kind of immediately go to like drawing software, you know, just or grid paper, just old fashioned uh, grid paper with pen and pencil to just kind of like run things through. I designed uh, one of my earlier bridges. I designed the nether hub that way um, for for the um, the Citadel. And 
depending on the level that you want to get into, uh, Adam C. Eunice on YouTube, we'll have a link in the show notes, has some really in-depth pixel tutorials uh, aimed at pixel art game designers, but you could definitely apply some ideas to builds in Minecraft. Maybe you're building a really large wall and you want to figure out how to do like a pixel pattern where you want to dither different blocks into, you know, from dark to light, that kind of idea. Um, or if you're just kind of like thinking about your build as a whole, like for me, thinking about West Hill as a whole and thinking about how the colors and how the trees and how everything overlaps and like trying to create that depth that wasn't there before because you had to cut a lot of trees down in order to do the work. So having some advanced art tips there um, from, from Adam C. Eunice, I found very helpful. Uh, also, I know I've mentioned Mort Mort on the show at least once before. Uh, same, um, same name on YouTube, just Mort Mort. Um, they do pixel art design tips, but they're more for beginners. They, they focus on, uh, I think it's Asprite is the name of the software. So there's a lot of very specific stuff to Asprite, but really the, the theory behind pixel art and, and that kind of stuff, uh, is all the same. And I've found that for beginners, Mort Mort is great, very accessible, does focuses a lot on sprites, but you will see some background work and some texture work. Um, so if you're doing any custom textures, both of these artists are going to be very useful, uh, as resources. But then the thing that I, I learned so much about from Mort Mort were like how to do curves when you're talking about like pixel art. And you can directly apply that to like, are you making a curve in a bridge in Minecraft? Are you making a roof that's supposed to have a slope on it or an angle? Are you doing designing roads? Mort Mort's tips on, on how to make curves and parallel lines for me really influenced how I design roads in Minecraft. And it was kind of like an aha moment where I realized, okay, the inside curve versus the outside curve, you know, uh, pixels consistently counting up or consistently counting down will give you a nice, nice smooth curve as best as you can in pixel art, which is essentially what Minecraft is at a larger scale. And so I found that those two resources were, were very, very handy. Yeah. Um, on a similar topic, actually, I want to give a uh, thank you to a couple of community members from here in our Discord and, and elsewhere. Uh, 12 Hour Half Day is the first one who recommended in the Resource Mind channel a really simple pixelated curve mapper. Uh, which is at um, isinbass.nl slash curve. Um, it lets you move four points on a very simple like grid canvas. It's a web-based tool. This is apparently all it does because um, there's no links that go elsewhere or anything. Um, but it lets you move these four different points which adjust the width and height of a curve and adjust the amount that it bends and where it bends and it's pretty similar to um i'm not sure how to pronounce it i think it's bezier curves is that how you say it bezier um, yep yeah yeah like in in any kind of like raster graphics program you'll see stuff like that in vector graphics program um so that's a really simple way of plotting curves that have more than just a standard kind of circular symmetrical pattern to them uh, so that was a really neat tool that I saw recently that I thought I should be using that more to plot roads and more organic pathways and stuff like that. Um, obviously, if you want to go for more geometrical shapes, building a circle or a sphere in-game has always been one of the more difficult things to do in Minecraft. Plots.co.uk, spelled P-L-O-T-Z.co.uk, is my go-to resource for it. There's a few other shapes that allows you to plot there if you want to build a torus in Minecraft, but then there's a few other things like observatories and lighthouses and snowmen and just kind of fun 
models like that. You can generate them at different sizes and scale them up and down and shrink and grow them depending on, I think the, the upper limit is pretty high. So if you want to build a sphere that's the height of your Minecraft world, this website will show you how. Uh, and it's very simple, you can break it down into 2D or 3D layers and see where you need to build everything. Uh, and then the only thing left to do then is count uh, for yourself. Linked into that, if you want to try some of that stuff uh, and you want to import something that you've built in creative, if you've generated a giant sphere there and you want to build it in survival, I cannot recommend Lightmatica highly enough. It's been so useful to me after the last season of Empires just wanting to get into building some stuff in creative, letting myself kind of work on all of the details and stuff like that and then figure out what is required to build it in survival and have a blueprint to build from it in survival. Lightmatica by Massidy, we'll link to that on uh, CurseForge, is a highly recommended mod for anybody who wants to take creative builds into survival with minimal hassle. I've also been using it in creative as an easier way of copy pasting sections of redstone builds. So when I've been working out the maximum radius that I can build my copper aging facility, and if I want to copy a section of that over multiple times and just copy paste it in a large row, Lightmatica makes that super easy. And there are other bits and pieces you can do with mods like, uh, you know, world edit and that kind of thing. But I, I think it's Lightmatica with the overlay holograms that it has makes it probably the easiest I've seen. So really recommend that if you're trying to take your Minecraft building game to the next level and you want something to assist you with that. So I've got two quick more mentions. Uh, Zero's world map is something that I use on the Citadel. And um, you, it's something that can be done client side or server side. But if you're playing on a server, I would talk with your server mates before adding it because there's a lot of extra functionality and unless you have the backend knowledge to turn it off in the in the mod, um, it's just going to be there. And the way that we use it on the Citadel is just with the honor system. We just don't use things like flagging mobs, player teleportation, leaving waypoints. Uh, what we do use it for, though, is a top-down, in-game color pixel art accurate uh, map of your surrounding area. So not you know, chunk by chunk sort of situations with the Minecraft map and not the wonky colors of the Minecraft map. Instead, it's a very, I, I would say if Minecraft added a map, it would be similar to this in terms of how it would work uh, and how it would look. And it has been a game changer for me to plan out these big projects like West Hill, like the modern city of Southport. Uh, having a top-down view I just like maps anyway, like any, most fantasy fans kind of enjoy that kind of a thing. And, and being able to not only have a cool build, but have a cool top-down map version of it is, is super, super fun, but useful in terms of like laying out your roads, where are the rivers in the area? Um, what kind of, um, just visual things do you have to think about? Where does the biome end? Like all that kind of stuff I found has been very, very useful for me in building, Westall, which would have taken a lot longer had I not decided to add a map and just kind of like say, you know what, this is this, I know this isn't a under the hood kind of like quality of life mod. I know it's going to, you know, add some things where it looks like I'm playing a modded, you know, Minecraft version, like, like a mod pack, but, but it really does help. Uh, and we just, like I said, limit the idea of, of having it, um, you know, like have the extra functions being used. Um, so that's that's just a simple top-down version. And it's a way to to build in a very similar way with the like the the art app, pixel art that I mentioned. You can basically just like 
do your roads and then look at them top down without having to like fly up on something or climb up scaffolding. Like you can just see the curves happening on the map. Saves you an awful lot of time. And the last thing I'm going to point out, which I, I embarrassingly do not know a lot about yet, but I've been learning more and more. I'm sure if you're on the internet at all, you've heard about chat GPT from OpenAI. And I can see that being used for a number of different reasons. Um, you can inspire some lore for your world, popping in some prompts into chat GPT and asking it to write a short story, maybe about a zombie princess in love with a white fox that must protect it from evil chicken armies. Like I, you can just have all kinds of fun with the tools like chat GPT, especially for anybody in our community that's ever run up against the, I don't know what to build next sort of situation. Uh, but also, and this is where my knowledge will come up short, and I'm just going to plug this as a resource for people, but folks that can code and can debug code uh, will have a lot more use for this because ChatGPT can write Java. And so I'm not familiar enough with Java to know the full extent of its usefulness, but I can imagine if you are trying to write a data pack on your own, if you're trying to write some sort of mod, or if you're trying to get something to um, to work, if you even if you just want ChatGPT to to debug it. Uh, having a tool like that um, for someone that finds getting into Java or getting under the hood in Minecraft to be challenging uh, with that knowledge gap, uh, chat GPT might be something that could, could help you out with that. And if you want to just go back to basics, I think you really can't go any, any way wrong with the Minecraft wiki. Um, and I wanted to highlight one specific page that I think will benefit a lot of people if they knew more about this stuff. Go to the Minecraft wiki page for instant mining. Um, it has a fantastic table of which blocks can be instamined with which combinations of tools, enchantments, and beacon effects. And there's some stuff in there that I genuinely didn't know, or like stuff that it's really helpful to refresh my memory on. Like the fact that wool and vines can be broken instantly with efficiency 5 shears. I do enough with those that I occasionally just take a raw pair of shears that doesn't have enchantments and I immediately regret it now that I know that you can get efficiency 5 on shears and it will, you know, help you mine out that stuff a lot faster. Um, if you want to make lots of mossy cobblestone and you don't have access to moss yet but you do have some vines, just go to your nearest swamp and efficiency 5 shears will take care of all of those vines. So consider enchanting your shears. Um, note that Efficiency 5 and Haste 2 can be used to break logs, but only on Bedrock Edition, unfortunately, so sorry, Java players. Uh, a Golden Pickaxe with Efficiency 5 can break Terracotta instantly without Haste, but it only has 40 durability, and you'll need Haste 1 to break it with a Diamond Pickaxe and Efficiency 5. An Efficiency 5 hoe can break Netherwart and Warped Wart without applying Haste, so that's really useful if you're farming uh, Warped and Crimson Wood whether in the nether or back at your base. And so there's a bunch of really useful facts out there. Typically, whenever I do a survival guide episode, which has been few and far between lately, but I'm getting back into it in the new year, um, every time I do an episode on a specific topic, I go to the Minecraft wiki, and there's always some facet of that topic that I've missed. Like, the one I love to remind people about is the fact that a Vindicator that joins a Pillager Patrol, like a naturally spawned Pillager Patrol, uh, if you name tag the Vindicator Johnny, then all of the pillagers will start randomly attacking other mobs the way that the Vindicator does. So there's some really neat stuff that goes on there. Um, anytime you want to look up something and you're not sure about exactly how it works, the Minecraft Wiki is a superb resource and is pretty much constantly updating with all of the new stuff that gets added in snapshots and stuff as well. So often a good resource once people have had a day or two. 
Um, also, if you're a Java Edition player, I'm going to plug myself here, considering uh, becoming one after a long spell on Bedrock or Console Editions, keyboard shortcuts are the way forward to making your gameplay better. Uh, make this the year that you figure out how to navigate your inventory more effectively and learn all of the keyboard shortcuts for Java Edition. I've got a Survival Guide episode all about that. It was one of the pre-season episodes before I started Season 2, so we'll link to that in the show notes as well, and hopefully that'll help some people out. That is it for us, but I'm sure there are a lot more resources out there. People are going to be sharing them in Resource Mine in the Discord, and we may even have a little bit more to say in the Render Distance as well. But that's going to wrap up this main episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show and links to all of the stuff that we just mentioned, along with some of the stuff that we mentioned in the news segment and other bits and pieces, over at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community. Pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can participate in things like the live show recording that happens every week in Discord, our monthly Minecraft audio hangout, which is coming up along with the quarterly hangout Joel mentioned at the top of the show. We currently have 330 patrons, which is up 12 from last week. And a quick thanks to everyone who's double-checked their Patreon page payment info going into 2023, since I expect many of our regular patrons from 2022 were missing from last week's camp and have updated now, so thank you very much for that. Special thanks go to our content engineers, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz. Thank you so much for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and tell them to listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or even YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. Email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Find the RSS feed linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixorifs, where I right now I'm focusing on Empire's SMP, but a few other things have popped up and expect a bit of content from the Respawn series here and there. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work mostly for my YouTube series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I am up to online can be linked at joelduggan.com. The Citadel Cafe is my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. That is returning this week with Stephen ESC, a uh, server member on the Citadel with me. We're going to be talking about uh, The Bad Batch. Uh, season 2 just started the Star Wars cartoon on Disney+. Plus. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream at least three days a week, Lego on Fridays and Minecraft on Saturday and Sunday, with a sprinkling of other things throughout the week. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite and everything's a resource.